Welcome, Nerdy Knights, at the well-rounded table aboard Bohemian Geek Studies Millennium Fandom. I'm Jedi Master and Rebel Scum collaborator Colleen McMillan, also proud Merit adoptive of House Myth for today. By marriage. I am Pirate Jedi, Anders Drew. So between Colleen and I, uh, we run the gambit in terms of rank from Padawan to Pirate all the way up to Master. But one thing will always remain the same. Just like our young Admiral Thrawn, much to learn we still have. Yep, yep, indeed. It's Thrawn's final scene with us for now. So we decided to focus on Timothy Zahn's latest novel, which is Thrawn Ascendancy Chaos Rising. Whoop, whoop. To state the obvious, I know. <laughs> write more, write fast, <laughs> Timothy Zahn. To state the obvious, this episode is spoiler filled for the novel and other Tron miscellaneous, Thrawn, Tron. <laughs> We're going to talk mm. about Jeff Bridges now. Uh, Thrawn miscellaneous <laughs> trivia. So if you haven't read the book and don't want to know anything about Thrawn's awkward teen years, get the book and come back later. If you have enjoyed Chaos Rising, then grab your favorite drink from the cantina and prepare to relax and unwind as we engage your mind. Anders, you ready to punch it? I am, but before we do, Colleen, I do have to ask, because this kind of qualifies as a book club, and while I have never been a part of a book club, one thing I know about pretty much all of them is that it always involves drinking. So I do got to know, what are you drinking from the cantina tonight? Ooh, yes. So I am drinking Prosecco, which is a sparkling wine. It is delightful. It's not sweet, so don't get too excited out there, people. I am not a sweet wine drinker. How about you? What have you got tonight? Uh, I have a nice local um, double IPA. It's extremely mm. smooth and very potent, so... We'll see how this goes. That's all right. Alcohol content is just fine. <laughs> it's all right. a wash after everything that happened in the last two days. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But as you said, Colleen, let's punch it. All right. We're going to start out with a quick synopsis of the book for y'all so we can kind of dive in deeper later. Parts of this book are memories from other characters and their interactions with Ron, setting up hints for his behavior in the book's quote-unquote present the book's present, not necessarily timeline present. Um, it has Thrawn investigating a mysterious attack on Chilla, which is the Chiss homeworld in the Unknown Regions. There's a lot of tension yes. between the nine ruling families. I'm like, yes, courtly intrigue. This is the best <laughs> part. As well as squabbling amongst the government and the military, because of course, you always have to have that as well. Thrawn and Arlani form their powerful bond. Whether they're also smashing is hinted at, but never really confirmed on page because of course, Disney. I'm saying no. The sex content is a little low. I think they might have, but we'll, we'll see. The innuendo is just very high. Um, right. If so they we get did, this, it like, didn't actually mean anything to Thrawn. That's all I'm saying. I don't think that, that actually, he can actually make that emotional connection. But Which would be so sad. Check out our last Probably episode. Probably didn't mean very much to Arlani either. <laughs> <laughs> right? Indeed. Yes. Go see our second episode. Um, so we get to see the establishment of their relationship. We first read about in Treason and Outbound Flight, of course. Thrawn makes mistakes. Woo-hoo-hoo. Young Thrawn and slightly older Thrawn do. And we see him at his most vulnerable in this book. Uh, his feelings and his emotional shortcomings are made more apparent than ever in this book, as he tells caretaker Thalias that he can only see people as assets or liabilities, which, very sad. And he actually feels bad about this, wishing like he could be more like Arlani. Is he really or does he think he should be? I think he does feel like that part of him is missing. And I think he kind of is like, huh, 
shouldn't I be feeling this way? Should I feel bad about feeling not feeling this way? I think it's one of his keys, his keenest struggles is mm. whether he should be feeling bad that he can't do what Arlani does. We'll see. This is like his emotional journey. I think that Zon kind of wants us to go on with him. He wouldn't keep bringing it up if he didn't want us to think about Thrawn thinking about this. Mm-hmm. Um, we also meet a lot of new great characters. Thalias, who is a former Skywalker, and Sherry, who is a current Skywalker and is just adorable. She's great. Form a sisterly bond and learn a lot from our guy Thrawn. Always teaching our dude. Always <laughs> teaching. He seems genuinely saddened by people, too, in this book who have, like, <laughs> no imagination or are unwilling to learn from him. It's kind of like, oh, this is what Thrawn actually wants to do. He actually is that teacher. He wants to be able to do it. Um, We do get that kind of cult of personality villain. The general, the benevolent, whenever you see the benevolent, you guys, it's not going to be benevolent. (laughs) Kind of like, we're a democratic republic. Be like, interesting. Mm. Oh, God, please don't go there. Come on, this distraction. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Yes, I know. (laughs) We do get another awesome, morally gray, kind of Force-sensitive character, too, who's a navigator that I hope comes up more in the next books. And then we also have the big bad emerging at the end, who is Jixtus. Is that his real fucking name? Uh, and why does he want to destroy the Chiss? So we have a lot can't of questions. can imagine why. I know, right? <laughs> he probably just thinks that they're arrogant assholes, and that's why he's going <laughs> to So, oh, yeah. Anders, what were your reactions to this book. All right. So when I read this book, my initial reactions were I liked it a lot. I had so much fun reading it. I liked learning um, about Thrawn in his kind of quote unquote original setting, being back with the Chiss in the Ascendancy. I loved learning about the Ascendancy, a lot more about the mechanics and the interactions of the nine families, how that's all set up, that all that kind of palace intrigue stuff is so, so interesting to me and it draws me into the story. Yeah. All of that being said, I could have easily done without about 50 to 60% of the memory chapters. Um, Personally, I'm not a giant fan of dual narratives. It can be done. You can do like multiple storylines that converge and it can be done really well. But this like this double timeline thing where a lot of the a lot of the flashbacks felt like they just didn't actually add anything to the narrative. They were fun to read. Don't get me wrong. They were fun to read, Mm -hmm. but they didn't actually advance the main story Um, and they didn't actually offer in my opinion, a lot of insight into Thrawn as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't really add a lot of substance. It was kind of like Zahn didn't have enough material for the main narrative, and he also didn't have enough of the memories to make a full additional prequel mm-hmm. novel. So we just kind of mashed it all together, and mm-hmm. that just didn't work for me. And then my one other criticism here that actually if we had dived deeper into the memories might have been resolved. I don't think Thrawn was what I would say is regressed enough for this to be Mm -hmm. considered 
this was this book, this trilogy is marketed as an origin story for Thrawn. And I am very, very interested in knowing what that origin story is. Why is he the way that he is? Why is he an outsider among the Chiss? How did he start to realize that he can derive these tactics and all this other stuff from art and culture and things like that? But what we get in this novel, the answer just seems to be he always was that way. There's no spark. There's no initiating thing of that in, in anywhere in here. Right. And I guess if that's the answer, then that's fine. But, but then do you need the origin story? Then do you need to, to say it's an origin story? But like I said, on the whole, I enjoyed reading the book. Like all those criticisms aside, every bit of it was fun to read and still interesting in its own way. I still rec highly recommend picking it up. Because yes. Also pick it up. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm already going to disagree with you. <laughs> I, I, as I was reading this book, I was like, Colleen is just not going to see my point of view on this. <laughs> I see it. <laughs> I do agree with your last point. I wish that we had gone younger. I really want to see young, like young, young Theron. Like, mm -hmm. when did his parents notice that he was precocious? Like, did they I notice? See his, yeah, did they notice? Are they absentee parents? It seems like. Either there's been some sort of cover-up with whatever's happening with his family, or you would think they would know that their kid was a freaking genius. Um, and I want to see, I wanted to see him at school and see him interact with the other young mm -hmm. Chiss, because I'm sure he comes off just as this weird kid that the other Chiss kids are like, we don't hang out with Ron. <laughs> yeah, he can't sit with Ron, us. Yeah, he can't, yeah, you can't sit with us. Like, you're too smart, also too weird. Stop telling the teacher to give us extra quizzes <laughs> kind of situation. <laughs> so yes, I do agree with you there. I disagree with you on the memory sections. I love the memory sections. <laughs> I'm here for character building. They, I don't think Zahn wanted them to be seen as character building for Thrawn. I think he's trying to build the other characters up because he needs to. I mean, Arlani especially gets a lot of attention here. And this really helped establish her character in Thrawn's life and in her own life. Like she comes across as being this badass in treason, but we really don't know much about her. So I think the dual narrative aspect here is more like, yes, we get to know Thrawn a little bit more through the memories and how people perceive him. But then we also get to know Arlani, very importantly. We get to know Thalias. We get to know <laughs> Thurfian, kind of. <laughs> Thurfian hates his job, guys, but he loves his family, supposedly. I think he might cut down on memory chapters for the next two books if he uses them at all. I hope he does, because I want to see those young, those young moments. Like, yes, please, show him with his sister. Like, you brought it up. Let's go back and look at those kind of memories. And we might get that in the next book. We might get his sister remembering her little brother being a little shit. That would be great. <laughs> that would be. That, and that like, seems like the type oh, of thing that actually belongs brother. there. Like, all <laughs> I'm saying is that these these chapters seemed mostly like they belonged almost in like a, a Lord of the Rings appendix. 
section yes. as opposed to strewn throughout. Yeah. Yes. And they did help build on the narrative because each memory chapter linked then with the next chapter. Yeah, so it but was did like, it really? It did. I mean, because you're per it introduced it introduced line. you to the character, but did it actually add yes. to the story? That's my that was my problem. I think it added to Thrawn's mo through the present chapters because it, it's you're wondering why he's so hesitant to do a couple things, and these memories provide that. It's just a different literary technique, and it's definitely not for everyone. Like I'm sure there are other people who are like, yeah, <laughs> I'm not into this memory chapter stuff. When there's me, I'm like, just give me, give me all the stuff that is with Thrawn. I'm like all for the character building part. So yes, I do want more Thrawn centric stuff because we have so little of his actual character that mm -hmm. these things I'm like, okay, if we're using other characters to presuppose who he is, is that really him? I mean, this is an entirely different thing about identity. Is he hiding who he truly is? Is he honest with people we talked about that a little bit in the last pod like is he being manipulative whether he knows he is or not yes. i don't know if he is in these memory chapters so much because he's no, he is so awkward not. like he he's, hasn't he's quite, so young yeah he hasn't quite gotten the technique down there but i think under the tutelage of many different just kind of masters and teachers he will start to be like oh I'm going to need to start being a little more cagey. <laughs> and he might have learned that at school, too. He might have learned that in order to get along with people, he had to show that he was exceptional, but not too exceptional. Like in the, I think Thurfian says, oh, his test scores are excellent, but I've seen better. It's like, oh, really? That kind of intrigued me. That's like the Finding Forrester movie with yes. Sean Connery, where he kind of was like, tanking his test scores a little bit because he doesn't want to seem like the smart kid. Yeah. But then when they do like a standardized test, they're like, oh, you're a genius. <laughs> He's like, ah, shit, didn't hide that very well. I think that kind of would maybe be Thrawn, a younger Thrawn who's trying to fit in. Older Thrawn obviously doesn't care whether he fits in. So no I'd like key. to see that dynamic a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But like, yeah, the dual narrative, it's okay. I, I can live with it. If there's less memories in the next book, I would be happy. But basically everything in this book, I was super happy to read. I blew through it. I think I read it in less than 12 hours. I was just like <laughs> sucked into the narrative. I was just ready to go. Like, yes. Give me more, Zan. Give us more. <laughs> Soon enough. Soon mm -hmm. enough. So yes, also highly recommend. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So those are just our general points, but our general opinions but getting a little bit more specific, Colleen, what were like the really standout moments in this book to you? Both the, the super, super highs and mm -hmm. even though they may not be that low in your estimation, but what were kind of the lows mm -hmm. for you? Okay. All right. Um, I'm going to start with lows first, actually. Whenever okay. the narrative pivoted to Thurfian, who is Thrawn's merit adoptive bro, basically. Part of the same family. And one of Arlani's family members, who is Zistalmu. He's part of the Irisi family. They're kind of scheming together to take Thrawn down. And 
my attention kind of wandered a bit on those chapters or those sections just because I wanted to get back to the main narrative. I wanted to be with Ron or Arlani or Thalias or even Sherry. Like Therpian isn't quite there yet as a character for me. Like, yes, I can tell he's going to be very important in Thrawn's life, but I think we're going to need the next book to build him up about why he is so adamant about taking Thrawn down. Like, we have the building blocks. smarter than him. There. Thrawn is smarter <laughs> than him. Well, yes. Therpian definitely <laughs> doesn't like that. And he also doesn't like that Thrawn is basically, like, family values. Like, he's reading the book and he's like, nope. <laughs> we're just going gonna to do what we want because that's what Thrawn does. So, yes. That part was a little bit... It was okay, but it wasn't there for me completely. And then I wanted more from the antagonist. Mm. I wanted a lot more from General Yiv. Like, it's kind of hinted at that he has the same kind of tactical mind as Thrawn. But we didn't quite delve deep enough. I think, I mean, this book, it's, it's fairly it's thick. It's a, it's a big guy, but mm. could have used even more for our villain. He was dispatched. Maybe a, a few less memories, and then you quickly. could do some more with General Yiv. I'm just saying. Or you could just make the General <laughs> Yiv's chapters longer, <laughs> or have him do more stuff. I don't know. So those are probably my my lows, I guess. He was still an interesting villain. Like maybe they could have had him not die, and kind of had him keep proceeding throughout the books as a secondary pro antagonist after Jixtus, who is like obviously the main big bad. Like, maybe have him be defeated by Thrawn, but then limp away and then come back later. Be like, aha, I finally defeat you again. Who knows? Maybe like, he will. Maybe. There's clones everywhere all over Star Wars. Exactly. Um, best, 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 best moments or highs. Uh, whenever Thrawn seemingly, I'm going to put seemingly in there for you, <laughs> <laughs> lets his guard down, uh, whether he actually lets his guard down or not is fine. That's when I find him the most interesting, when he kind of sheds that calm, very just like exterior. We get to see him frustrated or hurt or emotive. Those are the moments that I latch onto. Um, when he kneels in front of young Thalias on the ship when she's crying and he's soothing her and basically saying, you can be whatever you want. And he doesn't like betray her trust. He doesn't hint that he knows who she is basically like lets her be the center of the conversation instead of himself, which is adorable. Like, good job, 18-year-old Thrawn. <laughs> like, good work. And then him teaching Shuri how to fly. I loved that part. He's a good teacher. Those were, those were very good. Those were very good. Sequences. And she's sassy too. So whenever she like kind of sasses back to him and he's like, <laughs> he doesn't care. He's like, no, you can sass me back all you want. That's fine. Those are the moments that I love. And when he's honest with Thalias about his sister um, and what he thinks happened to her because he thinks she was a Skywalker, I loved that part. And the fact that he has this vested interest in the Skywalkers makes a lot more sense now. It explains his careful behavior in treason when they come across the Skywalker girl. So he's got this soft spot for them, which I really enjoy. And of course, Arlani all of her chapters, her memory chapters, I was all in. She's like this traditional <laughs> chess woman, but also just so willing to improvise. I think that's why she does well with Thrawn, because she can roll True. with the punches and learn from it and also give him back all kinds of shit. Which True, is she's a good counter. She's a very good counterbalance to him. Yes, she's not a foil per se, but a good, like, yeah, like you said, the counterbalance, because he needs 
he needs reeling in a lot. <laughs> and she's so good at that. I loved their date, quote unquote date, yes, at the museum. Yeah. I thought that scene was so charming. That was and then very... when they sparred, <laughs> it was so funny. He's like, stick or unarmed? I'm like, oh my, <laughs> are we talking about sparring anymore? Uh, and then when she <laughs> totally flouts like just tradition and takes him home to her ancestral family home, that is like a huge no-no. I'm sure her family was a little, little mad about it. <laughs> but yeah, those were my, say, my yeah. favorite parts. Okay. How about you? So like you, I think I'm going to start off with the low points. Like I, mm -hmm. I mentioned my general opinion on a lot of the memory chapters. But I think actually, for me, the low point in this book was in the present. And it's, I loved, like you said, the scenes where he's teaching Sherry to fly, like their interactions are so good. But then when you suddenly realize that he is, we are setting up, we are leading up to the events of Thrawn alliances in the past narrative, effectively retconning Sherry into that. So he goes down, he has his adventure with Anakin Skywalker, and she is just apparently up in the ship doing whatever for a little while. He does say that he has a pilot with him on the ship. We just don't know that it's we don't know a that very young child. A child. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I remember I'm reading this and I for a second there I really thought Thrawn was about to basically or that Zahn was going to replay some of that story oh, yeah, just that from Thrawn's POV. And I was yeah. like, you, no, you can't possibly be doing no. this. And then that we didn't. We much. basically just cut right over. So we lead up to it and then cut right over it. And I was like, mm -hmm. okay, then why? I was just like thinking to myself, why are we doing this? It kind of actually felt like um, if you watch the last few episodes of Clone Wars Season 7, they are taking place in parallel to Revenge of the Sith, and it is a retcon. So they pretty masterfully, I will admit, like insert Ahsoka Tano into several of these yeah. communications with the Jedi, but then you watch Revenge of the Sith and you're like, this very important thing is happening just outside your point of view and just no one's talking about it. Like, mm -hmm. yes. from a story mechanics perspective, I can sort of understand it, but at the same time, I'm like, really was this really necessary yes those episodes um, were <laughs> <necessary>. <laughs> yes ahsoka versus maul was absolutely necessary but in terms of this in terms of this novel i'm really still questioning was it, whether was like, it necessary did we yeah. really need that was it was it that critical to give us that kind of like timeline anchor could yeah, we have that's done the without only it? reason I can think could we have done without it um, but moving on from that into the highs of the highs of the narrative because there were actually several I loved the man I've just on them a lot but going back into some of those memory chapters there were some extreme highs there I loved Thrawn taking his like tactical exam and beating it and they just can't believe that he beat it it's supposedly this almost unbeatable test or he did it in an impossible way very reminiscent to me of captain kirk beating the kobayashi maru on star trek <laughs> yeah, <except> um, he 
within the parameters of the exam. He did exactly. He yes, he did. He, he worked within the parameters that he had. Um, I'm or just actually, throw the, the Vulcan <laughs> thought in there, <laughs> like you obviously cheated. <laughs> um, or actually, um, the character Holly in the Artemis Fowl series, she mm -hmm. makes a small reference to she's in her like captain's exam or something like that and there's an army of holographic villains coming at her and she beats it by shooting the projector so i think outside the box <laughs> exactly thinking outside the box is kind of tactical thing obviously thrawn doesn't mess with the parameters in the same way but it's got that same kind of a vibe that just like yeah. you can't believe that i actually thought of a way to beat your test we'll deal with it <laughs> Yeah, it's like, that's um, my problem. <laughs> that was a really cool sequence. And I also just, I really liked the development of Cherry and Thalia's relationship, that kind of sisterly bond, big sister, little sister. It allowed for some much quieter moments in what is effectively an action narrative. Yeah. Um, and anytime you get that kind of mentor-mentee relationship, I'm always really interested to see how that turns out. Plus, it let us learn more about just women. Generally, just like women and the Skywalkers in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Skywalker thing is going to become a big issue, I have a feeling, especially moving forward post-Rebels. I think it's going to be a huge military issue mm -hmm. coming up, I think. Could we'll they see. be potentially dying out? I they made that be. up completely on the spot, so I have absolutely no no textual evidence for that. <laughs> right? I mean, they could be, they could be getting less and less for sensitive young chis. Could be. Which would be not great because they don't have <laughs> navigational computers, really. No. That seems like a problem. Like, can we not use the children <laughs> and try and develop a navigational system? Could be. But I mean, I. But Colleen, That's what they have to do. I don't know, but I think um, Thrawn in this book establishes himself again as extremely intelligent, mm -hmm. always outthinking, always outthinking everybody, a force to be reckoned with. Mm -hmm. But that kind of raises a question about him as a character. Like you uh, and I obviously think <laughs> of him as a very compelling villain. Yes. throughout all of his appearances but some mm -hmm. people don't necessarily agree with that yeah uh, we had a couple people ask us and we had this semester apprentice but we really wanted to switch it to here just because this book kind of helps with our argument for it they kept asking like thrones un like unbeatable so how is that interesting or does it make him less compelling because he's so quote unquote unbeatable? If he were unbeatable, that would make him really one dimensional. But he is defeated quite a lot. <laughs> it just seems like he's not because he can turn a defeat into some sort of victory for himself or he can improvise to move on to the next step. He doesn't take a defeat as a defeat necessarily. He just rolls really well into the next scenario until he gets kidnapped by space whales. Until he gets kidnapped. Or, he also, yeah. I would say he um, he defines his own victories and losses. Mm -hmm. 
So some people might say, oh, you, um, going back to the first Thrawn canon novel, you know, the big example is you lost, you lost half of the shipment. And he says, mm -hmm. actually, if I didn't do what I did, we would have lost all the shipment and like the 20 hostages, but I yep. saved the 20 hostages and half the shipment. So it's fine. <laughs> yep. That happens a lot in that first novel yeah. where he has a solution and implements it. And then he's almost court-martialed like four times <laughs> because they, his superiors don't think that that is how things should be done. Right. But then Palpatine's like, nope, I'm going to keep my, my chiss pet. Sorry guys, no court-martials today. Like, <laughs> That's so one that thing. He always, he always does seem to have someone looking out for him. Um, mm -hmm. He cultivates to, relationships well. He does. I forgot to mention this earlier. Another one of the highs uh, from Chaos Rising is definitely when he becomes a trial-born, going through his trials and having that meeting with the Patriarch. Very cool sequence. And it also gives you a look at some of like that wider mm -hmm. intrigue. Thalias, it's like, oh, when we, is doing it. Yeah, we've had our eye on you. Like we are watching you from afar, doing some stuff. Um, but Which is I would good and also creepy. <laughs> very, but it's the chest, so we just kind of say, yeah, that's how they do. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, Thrawn does definitely get beat several times, especially throughout um, Rebels. Although he like he's almost gracious in defeat. He says, oh, yes. they've earned this victory. Let them have it. Um, I mean, in the original Air trilogy, he ultimately gets killed. So he definitely loses there by yes. one of his slaves. Yeah. And in that sense, mm. I think Look. that comes down to his... Thrawn is known for an ability to interpret culture make kind of like broad brush assessments about species, peoples, based on their art, their behavior. Mm -hmm. But he's not good at assessing individual people. He's not good at in predicting what an individual person might do mm -hmm. on that kind of micro yeah. level. And that's where his weakness is. Completely. He underestimates them, especially people that he deems not up on his level. <laughs> like, he does not like underestimate Hera, like Ezra. He gives Hera and Sabine, interestingly enough, the two ladies on the team, a lot of kudos. Like, he's mm -hmm. saying, yeah, Hera Syndulla is the best pilot. Like, why are we trying to fly against her again? <laughs> um, and Sabine, he loves her art. And it's like, oh, yeah, she's a great artist. But then he underestimates the Jedi. <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing? He, and he does this numerous times. Usually it's someone who is seen as either a servant, like Rook, who he thinks is blindly loyal to him. Like, why would you think that? <laughs> Rook has no love for you. That's a relationship you could have worked on a little harder. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe if he actually had Rook's loyalty, he wouldn't have died. And then maybe a lot of horrible shit during the Yuuzhan Vong War wouldn't have happened <laughs> if he hadn't died. <laughs> I'm still, mm, those books right now, they're just getting to me. 
But yeah, I think it is a valid question. If he were an unbeatable villain, he would not be as compelling. But because he does often get defeated, especially in in this one, in Chaos Rising, yeah. where he, he's defeated by kind of misinterpreting certain cultural norms and is basically kind of has his nose rubbed in like thanks for helping save us now we have we can move against this other country or this other planet that we don't like (laughs) and he's like this is not why i helped you why are you doing this i think that makes him grow you can't grow if you're never getting defeated true i would as a closing thought on this particular part i would say it's like he's he gets defeated as often as a lot of major villains that we see, but he doesn't have to run and hide afterwards. And I think that's probably oh. where people get that. It's not like the uh, throughout the entire Clone Wars TV series, General Grievous is ending every other episode by hopping in his ship and running yeah. away. <laughs> Thrawn doesn't necessarily have to do that, even though he is still getting beat every time. Mm-hmm. So I think that might just be more of an interpretation on our part. But yeah. coming back a little bit to Chaos Rising, mm-hmm. Helene, I think we do want to go into a few little um, Easter eggs, nods mm-hmm. to other pieces here. So why don't you yes. get us started with those? All right. Yes. So <laughs> going back to alliances, that is Anakin Skywalker's <laughs> music we're hearing uh, like Andrew said before, Timothy Zahn shows us in the quote-unquote present of Chaos Rising so he can anchor it in the timeline, which is fine. I mean, it's kind of a sure <laughs> a take, it, take it or leave it kind of situation. I do love Thrawn and Sherry's reactions to Anakin. <laughs> Their interaction here is so adorable. They're basically making fun of him as he's trying to be like all gruff and like, oh, I'm on business, blah, blah, blah. I have business on the planet, leave me alone. And Sherry's like, what is he talking about? Like, well, <laughs> her sassiness there is fantastic. <laughs> so yeah, it's a little, that's like a big Easter egg. That's a really big one, unless you haven't read Alliances that would be like, oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. That's a good one. How about the next one? So the next one, potentially, I mean, dare I say it, one ring to rule him. So we do have a very, very direct nod to the Chimera symbol. Mm-hmm. So one of the Pakash, um, which is a sentient species of the villainous, swear I'm going to try and pronounce this right, Nicardun conquered. That's right, Nicardun. Yeah. The Nicardun um, does hand thrown a ring with a very, very specific symbol on it. A creature with these two intertwined snake heads. We'll get to to some more about that in a couple of minutes. But if you read that and a bell goes off in your brain, definitely because this is the symbol of Thrawn's galactic imperial flagship, the Chimera, as well as part of the cover jacket art, very central on the sequel's cover art. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's really cool. I also want to point out that his uh, ship's name in this book is called the Spring Hawk, and that is in the Legends books as well. That is like his flagship heavy cruiser, 
And that's another kind of animal imagery I really like that they're kind of giving to Thrawn. The Chimera is a monster that has to be defeated by Bellerophon in mythology. And that's interesting because it's like all these many arms and you don't really know which head is going to attack you and kind of like a hydra. Very true. But the Chimera also means like something that's really hard to know or see, which fits Thrawn really well. But for young Thrawn, the spring hawk, I like it more for him because it's like, he's, it's more like a bird. It's like very graceful and a hunter, a raptor species, mm -hmm. but then also springs into action a little too quickly, especially for the chiss. Like, ooh, yeah, this kid though, mm, we're going to have to watch this kid because he is trying to incite riots all over the damn place. So that, I, I love a good ship name. Safety so the it's fine. Way. Right, yeah, he's only trying to save the galaxy, guys. Like, let's let him do his thing. And speaking of Legends books and tie-ins, this Easter egg, it happens, like, I think in the first 20 or so pages, and I cheered out loud because this is one of my favorite people. Uh, Thrawn's brother, Mithras Safis, short for Thras, is his brother in Legends. He's briefly mentioned by Therpian and not by his core name, so people might have missed it. If they had read Outbound Flight, they would know. They'd be like, oh, yes, Thras, Thrawn's brother. Oh, here comes Duncan for his, uh -huh, his usual, his usual Lothcat sighting. Come on, bud. We have to sit down here. I know, we're excited. We're talking about Thras. Um, <laughs> Therpian mentions Thras dying in the Vagari pirate incident, which is why Thrawn is in physical therapy at this point in the novel. That's why he, Bucky has to go and get him because he's just finishing his physical therapy from this encounter. Mm -hmm. Whether we know that Thress is Thrawn's brother in canon yet has not been explained. And whether this Vagari pirate incident is outbound flight also has yet to be explained. <laughs> it would be in the wrong place in the timeline technically because outbound flight takes place before the Clone Wars. But for now. We can move things around a little bit. It's legends. It can move into canon. That's fine. Um, basically, none of the Chiss are happy with him after this incident. And so I'm sure when Bucky goes to get him, they're like, what? This upstart? Like, seriously? Just, mm. no, let's not do that, though. But Bucky's like, he's my dude. I'm just going to do what I want. Oh, and there goes Duncan. There he goes. Yes. All right. So those are our Easter eggs. There Sorry, are a Karen. lot more, but those are the big ones. And that more or less wraps up our conversation on Chaos Rising. But before we sign off here, we did, as we were planning this episode, we did get some major news dropping. So um, on October 29th, it was announced that the second book in the series had a, an official release date. It's coming on May 4th of 2021, so May the 4th, Star Wars Day. We also got a title. It is called Thrawn Ascendancy, Greater Good. And just hearing that title, I gotta know, is that some doom bells we hear in the distance? That For the greater good. The, the words greater good almost never, ever follow up. Uh, precede anything good ever happening. Um, those of us who are Harry no. Potter fans will know 
the words um, up above Nurmengard from uh, Sir Grindelwald for the greater good. Um, yeah. Another Dumbledore says it. Dumbledore says it. Another um, somewhat more humorous example would be in the film uh, Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz. <laughs> the for the greater good. For the greater good. For the greater good. The neighborhood watch for the greater good. <laughs> Um, we got the cover art for this. It is blood red, and most mm -hmm. Star Wars titles mm -hmm. that have that rich reddish tone are a lot more intense. Mm -hmm. um, trying to think about the original trilogy a little bit. I know, at least at the point when um, Return of the Jedi was titled Revenge of the Jedi, it's like title art was being displayed in red. I forget if that changed or not when they changed the title. But throughout the Clone Wars series, red was always a symbol that we were going to get Darth Maul in the title. Um, mm -hmm. So not this bad. cover art has this lone figure, the Chimera symbol that we were talking about, the double serpents, encircle it. Mm -hmm. To me, this symbol has a lot of yeah, it has a lot of imagery to it, a lot of archetypal imagery. The two serpents kind of intertwining, very reminiscent of the Caduceus, mm -hmm. um, an ancient Greece symbol for healing that's mm -hmm. transitioned into modern medicine. Um, also, the, this particular cover has these like additional opening, open flaps or almost wings to it mm -hmm. that remind me a lot of uh, Sabine's Firebird that would ultimately uh, become the symbol for the, for the Rebel Alliance. So I don't know if that's supposed to be a mirror or an inverse or some other type of connection. I don't know, Colleen, what do you think? Ooh, it could mean rebellion is brewing in Nietzsche's ascendancy. <laughs> it's not going to be good for anyone, guys. Um, this, when this news hit, I was, I was at work, so of course I had to leave my <laughs> desk immediately to go check it out. Thrawn basically, he turns 30 in May. Timothy Zahn will have been writing Thrawn for 30 years. And it's also a birthday present for me, because my birthday's in May, so I will be getting this book a little earlier than my normal birthday, but that's fine. It's birthday month, you guys. Um, as far as we know from the descriptions we've gotten, this book will delve further into the internal chess conflicts and what's causing them. Here's the synopsis we've gotten so far. Bear with us, it's a little long, but it's great. Quote, Thrawn's latest triumph still rests newly upon his shoulders. Despite leading the chess to victory and bringing glory, always glory, to the house of myth, the true threat to the ascendancy has yet, not yet been extinguished. Their foes do not send threats or ultimatives or mass ships on the edge of the chaos. Their weapons come cloaked in smiles and generosity, gifts offered freely, services granted unconditionally. And there's more. Across the ascendancy, seemingly inconsequential events could herald the doom of the Chiss as Thrawn and the expansionary defense fleet rally to uncover the enemy plot. They discover a chilling truth. Rather than invade the Chiss capitals or pillage resources, 
this mysterious enemy strikes at the very foundation of the ascendancy by widening the rifts between the nine ruling families and 40 great houses below. As rivalry and suspicion sow discord among allies, each warrior must decide what matters most, the security of their family or the survival of the ascendancy itself. Ooh, chills. Yes, I'm ready. Come on, May. Uh, I'm most excited to see the interactions between the nine ruling families and the 40 great houses. I really want to see how that dynamic works. Like, is this a Game of Thrones situation? Heck yes. And are we going to find out maybe how a great family can rise to be a ruling family here? Maybe in the future? Um, Will Formby make an appearance? (laughs) Will he? Also, a Legends character, Formby, is from the fifth family. (laughs) I really want him to be in these books, guys. Just because he's super sarcastic and kind of aristocratic and obnoxious. So I'm hoping that he shows up. Uh, Anders, what are you excited to see in the sequel? I am very excited to see a little bit more about the nine ruling families and the 40 great houses. Obviously, in Chaos Rising, we get more about the nine ruling families, but this Mm -hmm. is the first real indicator of what we've seen kind of beyond that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's throwaway mention to the fact that other families obviously exist, but the idea that now there's this extra tier, this 40 great families, what is this like? How does this go? Um, Mm -hmm. To me, this synopsis, it also reads a little bit like a Sith grand plan, kind of chess pieces, pitting your enemies against each other, letting them destroy mm-hmm. each other, sowing chaos. All the chaos other is rising, stuff. you might the chaos, say. The chaos is absolutely rising. Also, just because it came out on HBO Max like three days ago, I'm revisiting um, Young Justice. <laughs> and the second season of that definitely delves into this concept of invading a species without them actually knowing you're invading, yes. coming kind of in benevolence, but actually sowing discord and trying to get them to destroy themselves. And I'm very, very interested in seeing how that develops. Same, same. I mean, in Treason, we got a little tease of this when Arlani is on her ship, The Steadfast, and some of her crew members are getting a little snarky towards each other. And Mm -hmm. she makes a comment like, oh, well, this crew member is from this family, so we have to be sure they don't interact. Or she's watching them, basically. Mm -hmm. And that story is farther along in the timeline. So I doubt we'll see the destruction of the Chiss in this next book, but it's still. Like, the reverberations are still being felt. This is true. In treason. We've talked about it a few times. It's coming. When is is the Chiss Civil War? Yeah. Does it happen within these books? And then kind of get fixed? And And then then is there going to be a second (laughs) Chiss Civil War to do with the Grisk? I mean, what are the Grisk up to? Is Jyxtus a Grisk? Like, is this their grand plan to kind of sow these seeds of discord and get a a civil war going and then be like oh miraculously everything's okay though now only then to keep further infiltrating the chiss and the republic well it's the empire at this point but you know they they stand up there they say they love democracy i love democracy (laughs) the republic (laughs) it's gonna be interesting i think zan has got a grand plan in mind 
I would I would definitely agree with that. I think he's he's like you said he's had thirty years for this. He's to just actually sitting there like play this out. Yes, he's like I'm gonna make you guys feel sad in this next book. We're gonna make it red <laughs> because that's usually usually something horrible happens, guys, when we get a red Star Wars book. Yes. I'm I'm ready for it though. I am ready for this book to be out. I'm ready for the third book to be out. <laughs> Give it to us now. <laughs> all right. I think that's all we have left. Unless you have anything else you'd like to throw in about the I book. Don't, I don't think so. I mean, I'm just gonna reiterate. I know I kind of I was knocking this book a lot. I still recommend you absolutely pick it up, read it. Mm -hmm. It's fun. It's good. Thrawn is still a great character. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Even when he's not at the forefront. I love that all these books are called Thrawn, and yet he's never the narrator, and he's rarely the focus. <laughs> he's he's there. Like, he's doing things. He's pushing the narrative. Mm -hmm. But we're always focused on other people. So it's like, interesting choices, Timothy Zahn, but we are with you. We are with you, and we are with yes. Thrawn. Figuratively. <laughs> All right. So I think that's where we're going to leave you guys today. Join us again next week to geek out together in our continuing coverage of The Mandalorian Season 2. If you prefer, I know, <laughs> Friday. And I think we do have coming up, it's coming out pretty soon, the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special, yes. <laughs> which I am super excited about for multiple really reasons really excited and also i'm hoping and i have all of my fingers crossed that it's going to be good i have a lot of faith in the humor of the lego star wars brand yes so i think, I think that episode will cover our excitement and our hesitation around this whole thing <laughs> yes we like because that last holiday episode mm, could need a bigger drink to watch that you guys also, if you prefer to enjoy us in our podcast format, you can find us at iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the meantime, help us grow by heading to our YouTube channel and subscribing and telling other nerdy nights to join in. That really does help us, you guys. Smash that like button. True. Smash that like, smash that subscribe. Thank you guys for joining us today. Um, find us on bohemiangeekstudies.com where you can email us at bohemiangeekstudies at gmail.com or find how to uh, subscribe to us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Thank you guys so much. Cherix up and keep those episodes streaming. So long, everybody. <laughs>